بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد ونسلی اللہ رسول الکریم اما بات الحمد للہ دا نائٹ از دا ٹوینٹی سیکنڈ آف ڈسمبر ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزنڈ اینڈ ٹوینٹی ٹو الحمد للہ of the eminent companion Sayyidina Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu and I've reached the point where I've mentioned that sadly his father Malik passes away without faith in the land of Shah and it's also most informative that his wife Umm Sulaim did not remarry until she heard of his death indicating they had not divorced So the next section entitled Sayyida Umm Sulaim radiyallahu's marriage to Sayyidina Abu Talha radiyallahu and the unique blessed dowry. Another one of the noble youths of the Banu An-Najjar Sayyidina Abu Talha who was around 20 years of age at the time approached Sayyida Umm Sulaim radiyallahu for her hand in marriage ai after being informed of her husband's death. So, like I mentioned, the Banu An-Najjar tribe was the most superior tribe of the Ansar. And Abu Talha was one of the eminent personalities. And he offered his hand in marriage to Umm Sulaim. So, what happened? In Abu Dawood, in his Sunan, number 1689, in the chapter on Zakat. First of all, with regards to Abu Talha's lineage. Hafiz Abu Dawood, he said, Rahmatullah, it was conveyed to me. from Al-Ansari Muhammad ibn Abdullah rahmatullah alayhi who said Abu Talha radiyallahu is Zayd ibn Sahl ibn Aswad ibn Haram ibn Amr ibn Zayd Manat ibn Adi ibn Amr ibn Malik ibn An-Najjar so here it mentions in Abu Dawood Sunan that his real name was Zayd ibn Sahl But his kunyad became more famous, he's more famously known with his agnaman, Ayy Abu Talha. Well, his real name is Zayd ibn Sahl. And if you look at his lineage, it goes back to Zayd. So he is also the cousin of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Zayd Manat was the forefather of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So in a report, so this is recorded in Imam Ahmad in his Musnad, Ibn Sa'ad in his Tabaqat, 8-426-7, Sahih. Al-Isaba, volume 4, page 461. Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 1, page 347 of the New English Translation. Anas radiyallahu, he relates. Abu Talha radiyallahu proposed to my mother, Umm Sulaim, i.e. she was 25 years of age at the time, and she responded. So look how interesting. Abu Talha's five years junior to Umm Sulaim. So you notice this is a kind of a stumbling block in many proposals. They, they expect the husband to be older than the wife. <laughs> But that isn't something really Islamic. For instance, the best, the Prophet was 25, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, when he married Khadija, and she was 40. <laughs> so Abu Talha was five years junior to Umm Sulaim, and he offered his hand in marriage. She responded, It is not fitting I should marry a polytheist. <coughs> Don't you know, O Abu Talha, that your gods 
are carved by the slave of such and such family. Indeed, were you to ignite fire under it, it would burn helplessly. She also said, Do you not know that the idols that you worship are but trees growing from the earth and are carved out by the slave of Banu so-and-so? He responded, Indeed. So what's the problem? The problem is Abu Talha is not a Muslim. He's still an idol worshiper. So uh, Um Sulaim Radiyallanha, look how she's reasoning with him. And which idol worshiper could argue over this? He goes, your gods are carved by the slave of such and such family. If you put a fire under it, it wouldn't be able to even protect itself. He said yes. So how strange is that? You know, he, he's testified, my God is helpless. She thereupon said, Are you then not ashamed to bow down before the piece of a tree grown from the earth and carved by the slave of Banu so-and-so? Will you not declare the shahada and I will marry you without requiring from you any other dowry? So Um Sulaim, she knew he was a noble man. The problem was he wasn't a Muslim. So she said to him, I will gladly marry you and I won't even ask for a dowry become Muslim. He responded, leave me until I can see. In other words, give me time to think about this. He then left, whilst that was left registered on his mind. Whenever he came to her, she would say the same thing. So he went a few times. <laughs> he was thinking maybe she's going to change that condition. She would say the same. He goes, if you embrace Islam, I don't want a dowry. You get married. Finally, he came to her and said, I have accepted what you have presented to me. Indeed, she did not have any dowry other than Islam. <laughs> Subhanallah. So look how amazing. Um Sulaim was a brilliant woman. She was the aunt of Rasulullah. She was a heavenly woman. And if you look at these glimpses into her life, you can see how much she was propagating the deen. So Abu Talha thought about it, thought about it, and he thought, yes, I'll embrace Islam. And I'll marry this woman. Another report adds details. In Sayyid Bukhari, Sayyid Muslim Ahmad and others, Shaykh al-Bani Rahmatullah states Sayyid in Ahkam al-Jana'is, page 35 to 8. He said it's a combined report. So what does that mean? Whenever you get a report which has details through other reports, the scholars, to make things easy, they combine the report. So Shaykh al-Bani said the bulk of this is in Bukhari and Muslim. However, all of the parts are all sahih. So Anas, again he relates to Abu Talha approached my, my mother seeking to marry her. She was a petite woman with beautiful eyes. She responded, O Abu Talha, one like you should not be refused. However, you are an unbeliever and I am a Muslim. Thus, I cannot marry you. So stop in the report. So Anas, before even narrating the incident, he described something about his mother. And he said that she was blessed with beauty, but she was short-statured. And then 
Um Sulaim said to Abu Talha, he goes, you are a noble man and nobody should refuse your hand in marriage for I'm a Muslim. He responded, not convinced by a statement. This is not what had concerned you in your life. She responded, and what has concerned me? What do you think my real motive is? He replied, the yellow and the white. I.e. the gold and silver. So look how interesting. Abu Talha is thinking like a non-Muslim, obviously. He's thinking this is a game. She's actually wanting uh, exorbitant dowry. This is why she's saying this. So when he said, this is not your intention, because what is my intention? He said, the yellow and the white. She responded, I do not want any yellow or white, any gold or silver. All I want from you is Islam. If you embrace Islam, then that would be my dowry and I would ask you for nothing else. So she completely turned it on his head. She said, complete opposite. <laughs> because I'm not after any wealth. Because you embrace Islam and that's it. He replied, who would help me with this? She replied, Rasulullah will help you with this. Stop in the report. Look how she is very cleverly taking him to the Prophet. He goes, go to the Prophet. He'll help you. Abu Talha thereupon went to Rasulullah and he was sitting with his companions. When the Prophet saw him in the distance, he said, here comes Abu Talha to you with the sign of Islam between his eyes. <laughs> Meaning he's changed. He then informed him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, about what Umm Sulaim had said, and he married them, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, for that specified dowry of nothing. <laughs> Thabit added, we never heard of any greater dowry than the one she requested, which is Islam. <laughs> Look how beautiful. When he was approaching, he's embraced Islam. And what's interesting is you actually can detect that. You see a person before Islam and after Islam, he's, he obviously he's the same person, but you notice a difference. And people always say, we can't put our finger on it, but he doesn't look the same. So he goes, what do you mean? He doesn't, has he had plastic surgery? What do you mean he doesn't look the same? He goes, there's something different about him. And that is Islam. So not the Prophet himself said it. He goes, he's coming with the light of Islam. And then the Prophet sanctioned the marriage. He goes, no dowry. The dowry is his Islam. And Thabit, a subnarrator, and as a student, he goes, this was the greatest dowry we've ever heard of. <laughs> In other words, when people say, what's the greatest dowry? People think of wealth. But the greatest dowry was this, Islam. In another report, Thabit added, Rahmatullah, I have never heard of any other woman whose dowry was more noble than Sayyida Umm Sulaim, namely Islam. Thus the marriage was consummated and she bore children for him. This is in Nasai number 5504 or 6-114 and Shaykh al-Bani Rahmatullah authenticates it in Sahih Sunan al-Nasai 2-703. So Thabit confirmed it again and again because this was the most noble dowry in Islam. And he goes and she was blessed with many children. Now why is that interesting? Because the sign of a blessed marriage is to have many children. <laughs> The Prophet said, the best of your women bear many children. So Umm Sulaim, don't forget, she had children from the previous marriage. Anas ibn Malik, Bara ibn Malik and others will mention. 
So don't, and what usually happens then is that the children now become more difficult. But Thabit says many children she was blessed with because obviously the blessings was manifest. Adding further details. In Bazaar, Al-Hayatami in Majma Az-Zawaid, volume 9, page 291, comments upon the chain of narrators, Hayat al sahaba volume 4, page 154 of the New English Translation. Anas relates, My mother responded, I make you and Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa bear witness to the fact, if you accept Islam, I shall be content with you giving me only your acceptance of Islam and nothing else. He responded, who will stand guarantee for me to this agreement? She replied, O Anas, get up and go with your uncle. I thereupon arose with Abu Talha's hand on my shoulder and we proceeded. Abu Talha greeted Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa and he professed, Ashraw Allah ilaha illallah wa ashrawanna Muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh. He thereupon married him on this condition. So what's added here in this report? <coughs> Who went with Abu Talha? Anas, how old was he? He said a child. So how responsible was he? You know, would you tell a child, you go with your uncle? So, and look how touching. He said that he had his hand on my shoulder, meaning that shows he was short. He's still a child. And we went together to the Prophet And Anas said, I had the honor of hearing his shahada. Because he took the shahada in the presence of the Prophet and the marriage took place. Anas further confirmed, Abu Talha married my mother Umm Sulaim and Islam was the dowry between them. This is in Nasai number 3340, Mishkat number 3209 or volume 2 number 61 in the chapter on Dawah. So now, before moving on, can we do that? <coughs> So this is the problem. You can relate the reports, but can you give fatwa? No. There's a hadith that mentions those who are not qualified who give fatwa, they're mad. And there's a lot of mad people about especially with the phones. Look, brother. Right? So you relate hadith. If somebody goes, can I do that? Stop. You're asking me for fatwa. Right? So don't give fatwa. But what have the scholars said? Sheikh Nawab Muhammad Qutbuddin Khan Dehlawi Rahmatullah in his Mazari Ihaq number 3209, he made a very important clarification here. Quote The Hanafis, Rahimahumullah, they state that they were married against a dawah agreed between them. But when she married him, in keeping with her promise when he embraced Islam, she waived the dawah. In other words, his submission to Islam was their reason to marry. It was not her dowry. Have you understood that? His submission to Islam was their reason to marry. It was not her dowry. Then the Shaykh said, however, the other Imams, the Maliki, Shafi's, Hanbali's, Rahimahumullah, they take the Hadith in the literal sense and they regarded his embracing Islam as the dawah arranged between them. So this is the problem. People don't follow their own fiqh. Well, they haven't got a fiqh. Do what you want, brother. <laughs> like the hadith says, if you've got no haya, do what you want. <laughs> Bukhari and Muslim. The Prophet wasallam said, one of the statements that have reached us from the previous prophets is that if you have no shame, do what you want. <laughs> and this is part of that. <laughs> do what you want, brother. <laughs> 
So the Hanafis, they look at these reports, they accept it. They accept these reports. But their understanding of it is different. <laughs> they state the his submission to Islam was the reason for the marriage. It was not her dowry. <laughs> the other Imam said, no, it was her dowry. <laughs> so now there is a holy verse which states exactly the Hanafi viewpoint. <laughs> So don't just think that, you know, the Hanafis are using, you know, their logic. What does it say in the Quran? In Surah An-Nisa, Surah 4, verse 4, Allah the Almighty and Glorious, He says, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajeem, وَآتُ النِّسَاءَ صَدُقَاتِهِنَّ نِحْلَى فَإِن تِبْنَ لَكُمْ أَنْ شَيْءٍ مِّنْهُ نَفْسًا فَكُلُوهُ حَنِيئًا مَرِيعًا and give the women their dower happily. <laughs> However, if they of their own good pleasure remit any part of it to you, then take it and enjoy it without fear of any harm. So how clear is that? So again, you know, buffoons have a go at the Hanafis. So there's two problems now. One is you don't respect scholarship. And secondly, you don't study Quran. You would never have raised the objection if you knew the Quran. When you quote this verse, now what are you going to say? Reject the Quran. So what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? He goes, give women their dawah happily. Meaning it's a right of marriage. Without this, there's no marriage. But if of their own good pleasure, they remit any part of it. In other words, it goes, we waive it. He goes, then take it and enjoy it without any fear or harm. So this is the Hanafi viewpoint. So combining all of these reports, it appears that Sayyidina Abu Talha kept returning to Sayyidina Umm Sulaim to ask for her hand in marriage, to which he got the same reply to abandon his foolish idol worship. Then the last time he approached and asked her, and she replied as before, he responded that her real motive and ploy was just so she could receive an exorbitant dawah, a fight which she vehemently denied. Subhanallah, it was only then that he realized that she was absolutely sincere and had no desire for wealth and prestige, coupled with the fact of her great concern for his welfare, that the light of Islam finally entered his blessed heart and he married the noble Sayyidah Umm Sulaim. So now what's shocking about that? Look through Abu Talha's blessed eyes. First, he's completely thinking like a non-Muslim. He's thinking, there's something, she's doing me over. She's after something. But then what happens? He can't get his head around it. He goes back and back. And then he realizes, she's got my concern, only my concern, because she's completely waved her dowry. And she wants only what's good for me. So what better woman than this to be my wife? It is thus most striking to note how many great personalities eventually embrace the glorious faith through a sincere deed. Subhanallah, a truly powerful lesson for any who have hearts to reflect it. But how many do you people do you see embracing Islam through sincerity? So you can go through the Salaf, but let's mention one who's still alive. Sheikh Nuh, Sheikh Nuh Hamim Kalam, 
Hafizullah, right? So he is a big, he's a scholar now, mashallah. Well, he, his journey to Islam was very strange. Somebody asked him, he goes, uh, what's your journey to Islam, Sheikh? And to go a long narrative short, he basically said that I was studying psychology in a Muslim land. I don't know where it was, I can't remember. And then he goes, as I was walking one day in the marketplace, he goes, a woman who's completely covered from head to toe, don't forget he's not Muslim, comes over to me, puts something into my hand and scampers away. <laughs> so he goes, I look at what's in my hand and it's some money. <laughs> so he's looking and he's thinking, why did she give me money? <laughs> and then he thought, oh, because he was wearing, you know, very simple clothes. <laughs> so he thought, oh, she must have thought I'm destitute and maybe I'm estranged because I've got white skin. <laughs> but then he thought, who is she? <laughs> he, goes, I, I, he goes, I don't, completely covered. And then what happened? Because what was he studying? Psychology. So he started working out. He goes, what was her angle? <laughs> then what happened? He learned that this is Islam. And he embraced Islam through that deed. <laughs> he goes, and to this day, he goes, I don't know who that woman is. But guess what? Sheikh Nuhamin Kala is one good deed of the unknown woman. So what does that tell you about sincerity? The problem is, yeah, left hand, put my gun for Isha. You know, only one self for you, put my gun for. You know, hitting the jinns in the roof. You know, why are you, you know, doing things for no reason? You know, you're supposed to cover your deeds. So note here, Abu Talha, what was his journey to Islam? Sincerity. And look at the brilliance of Anas's mother. He wanted, she, he knew that this was, a, she knew that he was an intelligent man. And she knew that if I press the right buttons, push him in the right direction, he will see the beauty of Islam. And she, he saw it, but it took him a while. He went back a few times. He's after the yellow and gold. He goes, I'm not. The yellow and you know, red, he goes, I'm not after any of that. And then finally, he embraces Islam. And Anas said, I was a witness to all this. And this is why there's a report. The hadith is in Behaki in Shu'abul Iman. A companion asked, Ya Rasulullah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, what is Islam? He replied, Ikhlas. Sincerity. So look how amazing. You actually get books, and the book is about Islam. Do you need a book to tell you about Islam? You need one word. Somebody goes, come on, brother, our deen is so vast, how could one word incorporate all of it? The Prophet said it. You're going to argue with the Prophet? Somebody asked him, what is Islam? He goes, ikhlas, sincerity. Meaning, without sincerity, there's no Islam. It's just a show. And this is why, to finish, what did our beloved messenger say? He said, I fear for you something even more than the jal. Ar-riyah i.e. The, the secret shirk, i.e. the beautifying of your deeds. This is in Ibn Majah, Sayyid Hadith. So now this Hadith is very interesting because what is the greatest open fitna that will hit us? It's Dajjal. The Prophet said that. He goes, there is no greater fitna than Dajjal in Sayyid Muslim. So think about, think about the fitna now that has destroyed Muslims. Internet destroyed them. Right? Was that the biggest fitna? Forget a woman destroyed 
Molana Sabu destroyed by a woman, right? Right? Was the woman the greatest fitna? Muni. Million pounds, where is he? I don't know, I've never seen him. Since he got some money, where is he? Timbuktu. Muni's destroyed. The greatest fitna is the jal. He's yet to come. But what did the Prophet fear more than the jal? And he said, Riyah. Meaning, you must purify your deeds. You must do it sincerely for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Otherwise, what is the point? What is the point? Right? And that is shocking. Why? Because people talk about the jal and you see the crowds. There's a talk on the jal, brothers. And there's thousands of people attend. Well, most of you are not going to see him. But thanks for coming. You know, how many scholars have written books on the jal? Did they see him? But those same scholars, they had a problem with their riyah. They had to sort their riyah. Nobody escapes riyah. And that's why riyah is called the lesser shirk, the small shirk. It pulverizes your deeds. And this is why there's a report where the fire of hell is flamed for three people. The scholar, the generous, and the martyr. And when Allah calls the three, he calls the martyr. He goes, what did, you, what did I give you? He goes, Ya Allah, I gave my life. For your pleasure. And Allah goes, you're a liar. You gave your life so your, your tribe, you would be known for your bravery. He goes, throw him in the hellfire. Then the scholar comes. He goes, what did I give you? He goes, you gave me knowledge, Ya Allah. And I blessed people. He goes, you're a liar. You learned knowledge so you could be called a scholar. Go to hell. He goes to the generous, what did I give you? He goes, Ya Allah, you gave me wealth and I showed my gratitude by giving it. He goes, no, you didn't. You gave wealth so you could be called generous. Go to hell. And Abu Huraira would faint when he went to read this hadith. Because he knew the, the, you know, what this implied. And Hazrat Mu'aviyah was weeping so much when he heard it, his beard was wet with tears. This is in Tirmadi, authentic hadith. So question, Abu Huraira fainted over that hadith. Hazrat Mu'aviyah was crying so much, his beard became wet. What impact does it have on us? So note here, a beautiful thing the scholars point out. You can see that sincerity truly bears fruit. Allah not only waits for the rewards in the hereafter, He immediately manifests it in this world. And we ask Allah the Almighty and Glorious to give us sincerity in all our deeds. Amen. So all I mentioned today was the blessed marriage now with Sayyidina Abu Talha, the great companion, and Um Sulaim's brilliance in how she guided him towards Islam. And I mentioned the fiqh briefly upon it. Why? Because you need to be aware of the rulings with regards to this matter. Are there any questions? Subhanahu wa bihamdi wa ala bihamdi ka ashru la ilahi illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilaykum bilahi min ash-shaytan 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 ash